I think a perfect example of it was that which I saw on the faces of many of the children yesterday who got out of their homes and out to the snow blast here in Siena. You know, it's a time when on a cold January day in Siena, 65 degrees and sunny, they brought out the snow machines or the snow makers with this uh, incredible uh, machine which is being fed ice and they, they shot fluffy snow, at least fluffy for a moment, onto the, the hillside. And they were inviting the entire community to come out and enjoy a snow blast, enjoy that, that time in the snow. And it was kind of fun watching the kids get out of their car and their eyes just kind of getting wide. And then with any type of makeshift sled that they could find, heading straight to the snow, eager to be able to play on it. I saw eagerness in their eyes and excitement. What is it that makes you eager? Have you thought about that? We get eager for many different things. We all have different preferences and maybe different uh, things that, that, that really excite us. But what is it that makes you eager? What is it that makes your eyes start to bulge in a good way? And you can't get enough of it. It's that, that strong desire for something. Christmas is not too far away, or excuse me, has not, is not too far in the past. And so those of you who, who woke up on Christmas morning to find blessing upon blessing wrapped in the form of a present, maybe there was eagerness. The idea that, you mean I get to open that? Or, or, students who are getting ready for the Christmas vacation and just have to get through one more day. Yeah, they're dragging in the morning, but by afternoon, we're eager to be done. Or parents, workers, eager for the weekend. Here's one. How about the natural eagerness that happens every time you write the check to pay your taxes. Right? Oh. No. You see, there are certain things that go together when you talk about being eager. You think of the, the child who gets to play in an area where they haven't played before or on a snow hill for the first time. You think of a, a, a parent who, who, who watches as their child gets to, to tear open the presents on Christmas morning. You see the, the eager desire and fulfillment and happiness. You think of a, a someone who's starving, walking into a kitchen and eagerly devouring that which is in front of them. We think of certain things when we think of eager, but today we're matching the word eager together with something that generally doesn't seem to go together, and that is eager to give. We just don't normally talk that way. And yet in this series, which is talking about how we have a king who is very much deserving gifts. And so what are gifts fit for a king? Gifts fit for a king 
he goes on record saying, our gifts that are given eagerly. Because he knows that this shouldn't be something that stresses us out. It shouldn't be something that, that upsets us. But our faith life with our king, which manifests itself frequently in giving, it should be something that we are eager to do. But it sounds so foreign to us. Because I, for one, am always eager to receive. Not very eager to give. But our God has a way of flipping that script on us. And just to show you my point, I as a pastor, when I have the privilege to take those who are interested in membership in our congregation, and we try to be very transparent with them, we say, hey, we want you to know exactly what our congregation stands for and how we are biblically based in every aspect of what we do, and we want you to go through it and be comfortable with us. What do you think one of the number one questions is? Well, how much do I have to give to be a member? Oh, man. It's because people are burned by that idea. And so we don't even touch on giving until the very end because there isn't a right answer. More than anything, the answer is, I just want you to give eagerly. And so we're going to go through, in the next three weeks, an entire chapter of the Bible that talks about Christian giving. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he lays out some great concepts for us to talk about when it comes to our gifts to our king. Today, we're reminded that we get to give eagerly. So listen as I read the first five verses of chapter 9. They're listed for you there in your, your worship folder. You can follow along. The Apostle Paul says, There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help. And I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you have promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. It's the word of our Lord. So, Paul opens up this chapter with the words, there is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints. This is a way of saying, I don't need to talk to you about this because you already know what's going on. The problem is, is we don't always know what's going on. And so let me give you a little bit of the backstory to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, you can already guess by the title of the book, Corinthians, that the church in Corinth is on the receiving end. That's who Paul is writing to. But Paul isn't with them in Corinth right now. Corinth is in Greece. And Paul is up north. If you have that, that mental map going on, he's further up north in, in Macedonia. 
But he had already spent over a year and a half in Corinth. He knew those people well. He had pastored them, shepherded them. He was in tune with them. And he also was aware of all the warts of that congregation. In fact, if you read through 1 Corinthians, Paul has to call them out several times on several different issues going on in the congregation saying this is inappropriate. But here in 2 Corinthians, we get the impression that a lot of that stuff that was going on had been sorted out. And now Apostle Paul is actually praising them for something. He's saying, I don't even need to write to you about this incredible service to the saints. What he's talking about are the saints in Jerusalem. You have to go through the Mediterranean Sea and get all the way over into Israel. Saints are believers in Jesus and the congregation in Jerusalem had been going through an incredibly difficult time. There was a famine that had hit the land and they were being persecuted at length. And as a result, the congregation in Jerusalem, that once proud city, the Christian brothers and sisters there were struggling. And so the Apostle Paul, when he was doing his mission work all throughout Asia Minor, up there in in Macedonia and and, and working down into Greece now, he was collecting a huge offering that he was going to take back with him to Jerusalem to help out the Christian church there. And the church in Corinth was on the forefront of it. And so he says, I don't even need to tell you about this, but I'm still going to talk to you about it. But you already have it on your mind. And did you hear the word that the Apostle Paul uses to describe the Corinthian mindset in participating in this offering for others? He says, I know your eagerness to help. There's the word eager. He says it's evident that you, despite all the warts that you have in your congregation and all the the struggles of your sinful flesh, and like I said, just read through 1 Corinthians and you'll get an idea for some things they were doing they shouldn't have been doing. But in this one area, they were excelling. And he said, I get it, you're so eager, you want to help out. And so he's writing to them to encourage them. He's saying, you're eager in your intent, which is awesome. But I want to make sure you're eager in your follow-through as well. And so that's what these five verses are. They're saying, I know you're, you're, you're eager to help, but I'm going to also send some people down there to, to make sure they can collect what you have committed so that the follow-through doesn't become hollow. And now we can serve the congregation in Jerusalem. Gifts fit for the king are given eagerly. Why in the world would the Corinthians have been so eager? It's not a natural thing. Do you realize this? It's not a natural thing for us to enjoy giving what is ours to another person. And even the times when we do enjoy doing it, it's sometimes because it's a self-serving type of giving. If I give this, then I have something that I can claim back in the future. 
Or if I give this, it's going to make me look good in the eyes of others. Therefore, I'm giving, but I'm actually getting. But the Corinthians were eager to give because their minds had been transformed. And that really is the entire message of Scripture, isn't it? Is to put away the thinking of this world and to put on the thinking of one who has been bought and redeemed and made right with their Father in heaven. And so the Apostle Paul is praising the Corinthians, saying, I love your eagerness and your enthusiasm for taking part in this. And it's not just the Corinthians. Did you see the example of of the Queen of Sheba? All the way in the Old Testament. As I'm reading through that text, it's almost like you would expect to say, the Queen of Sheba, with all her wealth, comes into the presence of King Solomon, is just awed by all of his wealth and all of his power, and she says, well, you obviously don't need anything more, and she leaves. No. She was drawn in by the presence of a one who was teaching in a different way. Who had the word of the Lord in his presence. And the actual natural reaction was to eagerly support that. Or Zacchaeus. Oh, I love Zacchaeus. And it will be fun to talk with him in heaven someday. Zacchaeus, a short man, which already makes him cool in my book. A tree climber, that's kind of fun. But Zacchaeus, you see this incredible eager reaction that follows so naturally when Christ looks him in the eyes and says, Today I must be with you because I came to seek and to save people like you. Can you imagine Zacchaeus' heart just melting when he who was viewed as a sinner by all those who were around him came into the presence of his Savior and with an eager heart he says here, I want to help. Which brings us back to the Corinthians. They understood something very clearly that we so often forget. Giving of an offering to assist another Christian is really giving to the king. Because that's the system our king has set in place, is that we get to use all of our tools at our disposition to help in God's kingdom. But there are two ways of doing that. We can dictate it, or we can simply say, with eager hearts, we encourage it. Which now brings us from first century Corinth or 800 years before Christ, Queen of Sheba or first century Jericho where Zacchaeus was to 21st century Siena. Gifts fit for a king are gifts given eagerly. But does that describe how we feel about opening our hand and giving from that which is rightfully ours? My guess is that if I were to pull you on, what's your favorite part of the worship service? 
Some of you might say, I like the music. And even within that, some people like the older style hymns and some people like the newer ones. Others might say, oh, the confession and absolution is just so liberating to be able to confess our sins, come clean and hear those wonderful words of forgiveness. Some people would say, the sermon, it spoke to me today. But one guess is that no one would say my favorite part of the worship service, it's that incredible interlude after the sermon where a plate comes by and I get to get rid of my money. You see, we don't normally attribute that to something we're eager to do. But did you see how the Apostle Paul finished his section that we read today? Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. You see, this is what is consuming the Apostle Paul here. He doesn't care about the amount. He does care about the eager heart. He doesn't want it to be something grudgingly given, a painful task, but rather he wants to give the Corinthians and every other Christian around him the opportunity to show that their eager hearts have the privilege to participate. Which is why every time the Apostle Paul talks about bringing offerings before God, he refers to it as the grace of giving. But we know that we don't always feel that way. In fact, one of the reasons why we don't always feel eager to give may be the fact that we lose perspective. You see, giving money to a church doesn't always seem very exciting until we step back and we see the bigger picture. You see, it's one aspect of the Christian life dedicating everything that they have to the service of our Lord. You see, when we take people through Bible information class and when people come to know their Savior for the first time, it's always fun to see the transformation that happens when the, the burden of sin is replaced with the joy of forgiveness. And that manifests itself in so many different ways. But if the devil's good at one thing, it's stealing the eagerness and the joy of giving from us. Because the consistent message we hear is that the American way is to get in fact, that's why we work, so we can get. And that's why we, we, we stress out, because we're thinking of more ways to get and to accumulate, because that will put us on the map. To which God says, you get to completely flip it. And trust that I will provide for you because I've taken care of your, your greatest needs. Now you can eagerly give to help others. And your offering, when it's given to a church, is going to help take the news of a Savior from sin and promote it farther than it would without it. And your offering given to help someone in need is one way for you to be Christ in the life of another. And to potentially bring them into contact with that, that saving news of a Savior from sin. You see, 
if we're lacking in eagerness when it comes to offerings, it's reminding us to take a step back and say, this is one part of the big ministry picture. But I think there's a second reason why we lose our eagerness. And it's because we've always looked at money wrong. Money is just one more tool. It's one tool that God has given us to put to work in his kingdom. But instead of being a tool, it becomes our tyrant. Have you thought about that? How money becomes the tyrant that dictates the way we ought to think? And the amount of money doesn't mean that we find ourselves freer, but that we find ourselves even more stressed out because we are trying to live up to standards set to us by earthly things. And the more that it becomes a tyrant in our life, dictating and controlling and falsely motivating us, we forget that it's a tool that the redeemed heart now has to help and to worship their king. And so we go back to the text and we see in the Corinthians the same struggle that may be in our hearts. They're eager in intent, but the Apostle Paul says, I know it frequently happens with eager intentions. They get swallowed up with the stresses of reality. So I want your eager intentions to turn into eager actions because I am bound and determined that you don't give out of obligation, not grudgingly, but eagerly saying, I recognize the gift bestowed to me and I want to be a gift to another. And so we pray on that. As a group of of Christians living today who are blessed beyond, I think we can say, any other time in the history of the world, we have the opportunity as we look at our relationship with our king to evaluate our Christian giving. And before we even talk about amounts, before we even talk about in, in, in what way we give, we talk about the mindset of our heart. Let it be an eager, joyful opportunity because we're serving the king who has already saved us. Now, that doesn't mean that if we're going to install cameras here in the high-definition cameras in the, in the gymnasium here that the next time we collect an offering, people's eyes are going to get big and there's just going to be a huge smile on their face and they're going to be saying, this is the time I get to give. We don't need that. But the quiet, eager heart of the Christian who's content with the Lord's blessings can eagerly say, I get to be a part of something big. I get to give back that which I have received. And it gets to help others and serve the king. Gifts fit for a king? We'll talk more about that next week. But for now, be reminded that those are gifts given eagerly. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, 
May it guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus our Lord. Amen.